We started a series a few weeks back called Happiness is a Serious Problem, and it's walking through the Sermon on the Mount. It's walking through the, the Beatitudes, and there's a, a statements that Jesus made, and he started the statements off that said, Blessed are or happy are. And so we started the series back looking at happiness as a serious problem that when you look at our world and our culture, that you realize that happiness is a big deal. And happiness seems to be struggling. Maybe it's because of our instability and, and uh, some of the things we're going through, and maybe it's because of conflict. But we know this from studies, that people are struggling with this issue of just, just being happy and trying to find happiness. And so we worked through a biblical definition last week about what is happiness. And happiness comes from uh, Dr. Dr. Joy Marie Clarkston, who is a PhD and done a lot of work in this area, has written a book called Aggressively happy. And so here's what she says. She said, happiness is a result of a trained attention of God's presence and the belief that there is goodness and love. And so happiness is this, is that when you and I come through a, a period of life, where it's in the celebrations of life or when it's in, in difficulty, what's in prosperity and adversity, that, that all of a sudden we look for the goodness of the Lord. We look for the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We look for things to be thankful for and to have gratitude and some of those other things. And, and we all know this, right, that uh, sometimes in life it's easier to look to those things than others. And so sometimes it, it takes a lot of work. And so we've learned this that happiness takes work. Happiness takes discipline. If you want to be unhappy in life, just absolutely do nothing, and you will end up in a very unhappy place. But if you want to be happy, then it takes work, and it takes hard work, and sometimes it takes a trained attention to the goodness of God and what is God doing in your situation. And so this weekend, we come to a place in the, in the series, and it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. This is just the beatitude that we're going to look at tonight, or, or this morning. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, and then we're going to look at James as well. But here's what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Here's what the scripture says. He said, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And so the title of this message is simply this, is happiness through spiritual growth. Or happiness, maybe another way to say it, just seems odd to us, so I just didn't, didn't put that as a title, happiness through conflict. Because when you, when you look at this issue, you realize that a lot of times what causes unhappiness in life, right, is conflict with people. It's dealing with conflict or dealing with people. And God, you know, puts people around us and we have relationships and we, we have a desire for relationships. But if we're honest, sometimes it's, it's people. It's people that destroy our happiness. It's people that destroy our love. And it's this issue of conflict. And so today we're going to look at this issue of conflict. And we're going to look at the counsel that James gave us in James chapter 4, verse 1 through 10, about how to navigate through that and how to find happiness even in, in, even in relationships with others and even in through, through, uh, through conflict. And so the Bible says this, and Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verse 5. He said, happy or blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. And so a lot of times we look at this word humble and, and we, really, we, we really don't, one, either understand what it truly means or we don't desire it. If you, look at, if, if you look at our society, you look at our culture, right? Humility or being humble is not like one of the highest virtues, if you will. We live in an ego-driven, hard-driving, market-driven culture, and you don't hear a lot about humility, right? I mean, you, it's not even a virtue that's very high up on the spectrum in our world, and so what you hear is something totally different. You hear an ego-driven personality or a strong-driving personality or a hard-driving personality, and those usually are the men or the women that we place up on the platform. 
And so we look at this word humility, and I believe one of the reasons that our world, our culture, doesn't honor humility is they don't understand what it means. They believe being humble or having humility is a sign of weakness. But God says the opposite, and God said absolutely not. He said the strongest people that have walked this planet are, guess what, people that are humble. People that can walk in humility and understand that, guess what, their trust is in God and their trust is in God's plan. And so the scriptures would say this, that it's really the weak people that are arrogant. It's really the weak people that are prideful and have to tell you over and over how much they've accomplished and how smart they are and how successful they are and all of those other things. It's really what the Bible says. It's really weak people that are, that are pushy and, and rude and mean and gossip and slander and tear other people down. So the, the Bible would say this, that the truly strong people to have walked this planet are those that are humble or another uh, biblical word is meek, meekness. And so we just don't use that word any longer. So that's why some of your newer translations use the word humble because it's a word that we use and it's a word that we understand. And so the Greek word praus is the word that Jesus used in, in, in blessed are the humble, praus, P-R-A-U-S, in case you want to um, uh, understand how it's spelled. I don't even know why I shared that. I just shared how to spell the word. <laughs> Just one of those moments. That's weird. But anyway, in case you have, a, in case someone this next week says, "Hey, do you know how to spell prouse, That Greek word for humble. You'll say, "Absolutely. I learned it in church. That's why I go to church." P R A U S. Just in case you're wondering. And so, and so Jesus used the word prouse for which means meek, humble, gentle, lowly of heart. It was said of right. It was said of Moses. Right. That Moses was one of the uh, most humble people, walked in humility of this planet. And you look at all that, that, that Moses had, had accomplished. So in relationships, humility, people that are humble don't over, overreact. Uh, they're not driven, like they're not driven by their emotions. We just need to understand this about emotions. Whether you realize it or not, your emotions, if you don't process them... They're going to leak out. You may try to deny them. You try, may try to push them down. You may try to ignore them. But if you don't, listen, if you don't work through your emotions, if you don't work through your feelings, your emotions of these eventually will like leak out on others. And a, a humble person is not someone who, who um, a humble person is someone who has this strength under control. And so this weekend, I want to talk to you about humility, especially how it relates to in, in relationships how it relates to conflict, and some of the things that we need. Because here's what I've learned. When, when I entitled this message, Happiness Through Spiritual Maturity, I realized that a lot of times God has matured me in conflict. And, my, and God has matured me in relationships. Because in relationships, right, it is in relationships that we learn to look not only on our interests, but the interests of others. It's in relationships that we learn what forgiveness is and how to forgive. It's in relationships that we learn what it means to be humble, what it means to be loving, what it means to be caring, what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And the only way that we're able to do that is in relationship with others. And so this is what James says. James, James talks about this issue. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 10, that's where we're going to spend our time. I've told you often that the greatest commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. And so this is what James says. And James said this way before, like pop psychology and modern psychology. And he has some profound insights about how to treat one another, how to walk through conflict and still remain happy. So here's, here's what he says. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. We'll read it all, and I'll give you three things. What is the source of wars and fights among you? 
Don't they come from your passions that wage within you? So this is why I like James. There's two types of people, right? There's beat around the bush people and there's, there's right to the point people, right? There's some people, they're just beat around the bush. You, got, you know, they're just going to finally, they'll get there and tell you what they're upset about. Not James. James. James will offend you just right out of the gate. And so you know what James does? James says, hey, by the way, I just need to let you know the reason you have conflict is because of you. See, a lot of times we say, hey, the reason I have conflict is because of them. And James, right out of the gate, says, hey, I just need to let you know the reason you have conflict in life is because the desires that are war within you. And so let's, let's just go on. You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and, you, and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? I'm talking about the flesh, verse 6. But he, speaking of God, but he gives greater grace. Don't you want greater grace? I want greater grace. And James tells us how to get it even in the midst of relationships. He says, but... But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And so I want to give you three things that if you want to walk in humility, if you want to understand this, that happy are the humble, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And, and what he's saying is, is God's going to exalt you. Pride and arrogance tells you this, that I've got to exalt myself, and I've got to exalt myself over others. And to get ahead in life, I've got to power up over people around me. And Jesus says, no, it's just the opposite. James says, no, it's just the opposite. It's this issue of humility, and God will lift you up. God is the one that exalts you. So three things, if you and I want to walk in humility, if you want to, be, if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, the first one is this, we have to be right with ourselves. We have to come to the place that we're just right with ourselves. We know our motives. We know our words. We know our actions. And so what James helps us to understand, what Jesus helps us to understand, it begins with being at peace with ourselves. Listen, if you are not at peace with yourselves, it will be difficult for you to be at peace with others. That's what James is telling. Verse 1 again, when he just gets right to the point, he says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions, not their passions, don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? So James says the cause of our arguments sometimes, all the time, are our conflicting desires. And so maybe a different way to put that, in relationship, when my, when my wants conflict with your wants, there's going to be a problem. When my desires conflict with your desires, guess what? That's when sparks are going to fly. That's when we're going to have arguments. That's when we're going to have conflicts. And I don't know if you realize this, but conflicts start early in life. You do not have to teach people how to have conflict, right? Um, a while back, we were, we were uh, with our grandkids, and we had a room full of grandkids, and we had this toy. And you probably experienced this. We had this toy that was laying on the, on, on the floor, you know, off to the side in their toy area. Not a kid wanted it the whole day. And then all of a sudden, one child walks over to that toy, picks up the toy, starts playing with it. Guess what? Every kid in the room now wants the toy. 
And every kid in the room now wants the desires. And when their desires conflicted with, a, with another child's desire, guess what? That's when the temper tantrums happen. That's when the tears flow to where we just finally put, say, you know what? Guess what? Nobody gets the toy, right? We'll just put the toy up. We'll put the toy up forever if it's going to cause that many problems. And so you do not need to teach people to have conflict. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's that way. And when you, you look at marriage, I don't know if you realize this or not, but marriage has built-in conditions for conflict. And if you remember back when, when you got married, and you, yeah, I, I paused, and I'm going to be really careful here. And so, uh, but marriage, you remember your, the expectations you had uh, of what marriage would be like and what relationships would be like? And then all of a sudden you get married and you realize how unrealistic that was, like when you woke up. And you're like, wow, that was... And, and so, and we've talked about this issue of happiness. And happiness is coming to the place to where, where you know what, this isn't the life that I expected, but this is the life I've been given. And, I'm, and as a result of that, I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to look for the goodness of the Lord. One man once said, it's hilarious, he said there's actually three phases of marriage. Uh, like, like phase one, stage one is, you know, the happy honeymoon. Uh, and, you know, stage two is the party's over. And then stage three is let's make a deal. And, and so that's, that's really where we are, right? And that's when we have to resolve conflict because guess what? We're human. Conflict is going to happen. And conflict is going to happen in relationships. And conflict is going to happen in marriage. And so James says we have to keep in check Three desires. And listen, these are healthy desires, but all desires have a, have a good side and they have a shadow side. They have a good side and they have a, a bad side. And when desires get out of bounds, when desires go unchecked, that's when they get destruct, destructive. And so James names three desires that we have to stay in check in relationships. And the first one is this, the desire to, I, I want to have. I mean, this is a desire for materials and possessions. Verse 2, he says, You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. And so James helps us to understand that, guess what? God has blessed us with, with money. God blesses us with wealth. God blesses us with possessions for us to enjoy. And there is nothing wrong with that as long as we steward them wisely and all those other things. And so what the Bible says is that we are to use things and to love people. That's just what Scripture says. That's what James is talking about. Jesus talked about that as well. And so the danger comes when that desire gets unchecked. All of a sudden, we get this reversed. And we now come to the place to guess what? We love things and we use people. And all of a sudden, we love things, we love possessions, we love material things more than we love people. And when we get this equation backwards, all of a sudden, when we cross over and we love things or we love possessions or we love success more than we love people, then all of a sudden, you know what happens? We start using people. And we begin to manipulate them, we begin to control them. We begin trying to move them around like, like, a, like a chessboard so that we, so that we get the things that, that we want. And this comes from the desire to, to have or the desire just to be number one. And so when you look at that, I just realized when I was thinking about this, I think a lot of Americans have misunderstood the Constitution. And they believe it says life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. <laughs> we cannot purchase happiness. 
No matter how much you acquire, no matter how much you have, how many more biographies, memoirs, are we going to have to read of billionaires, successful sports stars, or whatever, that had billions or had millions of dollars, and we read these biographies, and we find out they were totally unhappy. And we find out they were totally miserable. That all that wealth and all that success and all that notoriety did not bring them happiness. The second thing that we have to keep in check is the desire. I just want to feel good. Not only do I want to have, but I, I, just, I just want to feel good. Verse 3, you ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, the reason you're asking, the reason you're uh, praying is only for you. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he says, hey, when you pastor a church, tell them this. 1 Timothy 6, 17, he says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. When pleasure and possessions between our number one goal in life, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're asking for conflict. And when you say, you know what, I only make decisions based upon what makes me happy or what makes me feel good, guess what? You are asking for conflict in life. And the third thing is this, of a desire when it becomes unchecked will cause problems is this, I want, I want to be number one. I mean, I, not only do I want to be number one, I kind of think I am with the talent and the gifting and the situation in life. And so this is pride, this is power, this is prominence, this is popularity. Uh, Proverbs 13.10, this is fascinating to me. He said, arrogance leads to nothing but strife. Arrogance leads to nothing but conflict. But wisdom is gained by those who take advice. One of the ways you and I can realize that we are humble, that we're walking in humility, is when we'll listen to somebody else. Is when we'll take advice when we're willing to take counsel, when someone steps into our life and we know that they love us and they, we know that they care for us and they speak in their life and say, hey, I don't think you notice this, but this is a blind spot in your life because we all have blind spots in our life, right? That's what James is helping us to understand. We have blind spots in our life, but we can see everybody else's stuff. It's obvious to us. But sometimes we're blind and we need somebody to speak into our life and say, hey, I don't know if you realize this or not. This is what Proverbs is talking about. This is also talking about in conflict, you know what, I'm too prideful to compromise. It is my way or the highway. It is my desires. It is what I want. It is my decisions. And so guess what? I'm not going to compromise in this. I'm not going to try to see it from your side or your point of view or what you need. Have you ever, have you ever, you don't have to answer this out loud. Please don't. <laughs> have you ever been in a conflict and you're having a, you know, you're an intense fellowship. You're having a, you're having a conversation. And halfway through, you realize you're dead wrong. And you don't want to admit it. And you know you're wrong. And you're trying to talk, talk your way through it and talk your way around it. Can I just tell you, that's pride. That is pride. The heart, I'm telling you, the hardest three words to use in the English language is, I was wrong. And it takes humility. This is what, this is what James is talking about. So first, if we're going to have happiness through spiritual growth, if we're going to have happiness through conflict, we have to be right with ourselves. The second thing is this, we have to be right with him. Or we have to be right with God, is what he's talking about. Uh, James chapter 4 verse 6, but he gives greater grace. So you know what? That got my attention. 
I'm like, I want greater grace, right? Don't you want greater grace in life? And don't you want greater grace in relationships and situations? And so once I saw that, that got my attention. And he says, but he gives greater grace. So who does he give greater grace to? Watch this. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace, greater grace to the humble. And it's interesting to me that in Scripture, there's only one group of people that Scripture ever says that God resists. The prideful. You know why? Because a prideful person really isn't going to depend on God. And a prideful person really and truly isn't going to listen to God. A prideful person down deep doesn't really think they even need him. And they don't even really think they need his advice. And so God says, as a result of that, I resist the proud, but I give greater grace to the humble. I give greater grace to those those that walk in humility, that understand they not only need me, but they need others, and they need others to speak, speak into their life. And so James says this issue of grace, and so what is grace? Grace, in a very simple def- definition in relationships, is, is, is God's power to change. So what would you like to change? What... Not about somebody else. What would you like to change about yourself? Whatever it is, however you answer that, guess what? You're going to need grace to make that change. I mean, what would you like to change about your marriage? What would you like to change about your personality? What would you like to change about about your your family? Whatever, I'm just telling you, whatever you'd like to change, you're going to need grace. You're going to need greater grace because guess what? You cannot do it on your own. Because it cuts across your passions, and it cuts across the grain of your desires. Grace, greater grace, is the power. It's just the power not to change others. It's the power to change you. Verse 10, James goes back and he says, So humble yourself before the Lord, and he is the one. He is the one that will exalt you. Pride and arrogance says, Guess what? I I, I can do it on my own. I, I, I don't need anybody. I mean, I, I, I can do it on my own, and the way that I do that, I'll just power up on others. But yet James says we got to walk in humility. And so one of the ways, what James says, the way that you and I learn humility, the way we learn this is we have to grow closer to God. Verse 2, James chapter 4 says this, 2 and 3. He says, you desire and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on, on, on your pleasures. And so James says there's a couple of reasons why your desires aren't fulfilled. And one is that, that we don't pray and we don't ask God. We don't look to the source. We look to people to fill our needs instead of looking to God. And God says, guess what? I'll, I'll meet your needs. Not all of your desires and not all of your wants, but I, 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 I will meet your needs. I will meet your needs. And then sometimes the reason we don't obtain is because when we pray, we're praying for selfish motives. We're praying that maybe God would change another to make things easier on us instead of looking at ourselves and say, God, it starts with me. Just change me. I don't know if you've realized this, but a lot of times we would rather fight than pray. And we'd rather argue than pray. It's a lot of times when we're in conflict, the last thing we think about is, you know what, I'm just going to take this to the Lord in prayer. And I'm just going to pray, pray about this. And when you look at this, you realize that, that this issue of prayerlessness is a sign of, of pride. And it's a sign of arrogancy because what we're really saying is, God, I don't need you. 
And God, I don't need you in this situation. I don't need you to change me, and I don't need you to leave. God, God, I can do this. And James says, you know what? If you want more peace in life, you need to pray more. If you want more peace in life, you've got to deal with your desires and your motives. If you want more peace in life, you've got to draw close to me. And, and I've, I, man, I'm, I am still learning this. The more peace I have correlates to how much time I spend with the Lord in silence and solitude and just reading his word and just allowing his word just to, just to speak to me. It just happened to me this morning. Just, just in Philippians, just God gave me a verse that just answered something for me that just brought great peace to my life and great peace to my heart. James says in James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the, the, the humble. So I, I don't know if you know this, but God has declared war on selfishness. And God has declared, declared war on pridefulness. Because that's why he says, I resist the proud. Have you ever noticed that God has a very unique way of engineering circumstances in your life to kind of pop your idea of, of, of like pride to where just about the time you and I get to that place and say, hey, we've got life figured out. We've got relationships. Everything's like headed our way. We've got life figured out. And then God all of a sudden engineers a set of circumstances that bring us back to realize that, guess what? We cannot do life on our own. And we, we need him. And so when you look at this, pride causes arguments. And James is saying it, it, it's from the, the aspect of I have to have it my way when I want it, my time, in my place. And so, but fortunately, James gives a cure. Verse 7, he says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In other words, let, let, let God be God in your life. Understand that he's sovereign and he has a plan. That just, that takes humility. It just takes humility. I mean, I, I, in, in Life Journaling, we were reading through the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon. Uh, I won't read the verse. Uh, I, I, it's, it's just in my journal. And so I won't read the verse, but it's in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I think it's verse 3 and 4. And James is talking, and James is talking about this issue of who can straighten out the path that God has made crooked. In other words, God is sovereign and God is in control. So who can, who can straighten out the path that, makes, that, that God has made crooked in your life? Or uh, it's kind of between your expectations and the life that you've been given and, and, and understand that God is sovereign and God is in control. And then James goes on in verse, I'm sorry, 13 and 14. James goes on in verse 14 and says, in good times in life, uh, be joyful and be happy and, and, and show gratitude. But in times of adversity, consider the ways of the Lord and find out where he's working and make your, your mind trained to his, his blessing and the goodness of the Lord and remember that he is sovereign and remember that he is in control. Understanding this issue, because I'm just telling you, any area of life that you try to be, you try to have a sovereignty where God has not given you sovereignty, will always cause problems in your life. Only God can control. And only God is, only God is sovereign. Here's what I've noticed about conflict and chaos. When, when we go through conflict and when we go through chaos in life, the first thing we want to do, what? Is to control more. And we want to control people. But guess what? We're not sovereign over people. I don't know if you know this or not. You cannot change anyone, right? 
You can only change yourself. You're only in control of your attitude, how you respond, how, how you love, how you deal with them in conflict. And what happens in life is when we go through crisis, when we go through chaotic times, when we go through conflict, if we're not careful, we'll try to change the other individual. And we'll try to control the, under, uh, the other individual. But we cannot, listen, we cannot do that. And you know what happens when we try to change someone else, when we try to control someone else, you know what it does? Two things. One, it strains the relationship. You've noticed that? It strains the relationship, and it can push the other individual farther from you. Why? Because you're trying to change them, and God hasn't given you sovereignty over their life. But the other thing it does, you know what? It takes the happiness or the joy out of your life. Because you lay awake at night, what? Replaying the conversation, replaying what they're doing over and over in your mind. And then all of a sudden you think, you know what? I'll just give them more facts tomorrow. They'll see it my way. I'll argue it this way. I'll present it this way. I'll quote this person. I'll do this. And so you get up and you text them or you call them and you try to change them. And guess what? It strains the relationship and you lose your happiness and joy. And James is trying to help us to understand that guess what? God is in control of your life. And God is in control of their life. And you're only responsible for, for yourself, what you can control. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. So the starting point of getting peace inside before you can have peace on the outside, being right with yourself, being right, right with God, understanding who God is and what God has done for you. And you, you understand the Lord's Prayer. And I'm just telling you, the hardest line in the Lord's Prayer to play, pray. God, not my will, but may your will be done. Because you're sovereign and because you're in control. And this affects, this affects our relationships. And this affects the, the conflict that, that, that we have. The third and the last thing is is this, is that is not only do we need to be right with, our, with ourselves and we need to be right with God, but we need to be right with others. And the only way that we can be right with others is when we're right with ourselves and we're right with God and we understand that he's sovereign, he's in control, he changes people, not us. That's, that's, not, our, that's, not, our, that's not our job. And so if you want to stop conflicts in your life and you want to get along with other people and avoid arguments, then you have to learn that forgiveness is from God. And so James goes on in verse 8, and he says, it's so interesting because he comes back after verse 1 and says, hey, I just need to let you know, conflict begins in you. It's a war that is waging in you, with your flesh, your desires. And then in verse 8, he, he starts giving some of the, the answer. In verse 8, he says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, so what is he saying? Well, he's saying this. Our hands represent our conduct, and our hearts represent our attitudes. And so what James is saying, man, clean up your attitude, the way that you look at others, the way that you view that person that you're in conflict with. Clean up your attitude. And clean up your conduct, the words that you're saying, how, how, you're, how, you're, how you're handling it. And James goes on and uses some really strong language. I mean, he really uses some strong language. It, it's not going to uh, come up in, um, 
you know what, I, I won't even try to pull it up, but uh, I was going to pull up the verse, but he, he, he goes on and he starts using some language like mourn and grieve. And what he's saying is, hey, don't minimize your attitude and don't minimize your conduct. Don't minimize the words that you're using to hurt others and, and some of those other things. And don't minimize the attitudes that you have towards others. He's, he's like, take them, take them serious. I mean, be, be sorry. Be mournful for your pridefulness. Be mournful for your self-centeredness. Take it seriously and deal with it. I mean, if, if, if you've hurt someone, you have hurt them. If someone tells you that hurt, you hurt them. Pridefulness will lead us to like justify it or say, no, I didn't. That didn't hurt. If you've hurt someone, what James is saying, you've hurt them. And it may not be a big deal to you, but it is a big deal to them. And be willing to ask for forgiveness or be willing to apologize. Be, be willing to say, I'm sorry. Would you, the way that we can begin to resolve conflict in relationships with another person is just being, listen, just being willing to apologize for your part. Let's just say they're 95% they're in the wrong. And you were 5% wrong. You want to you humble yourself and get greater grace? Apologize for your 5%. Just start out and say, hey, I need to let you know I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my 5%. I'm sorry the way that I responded when, to you. I'm sorry the words. I'm sorry my conduct. I'm sorry the words that I used. I'm sorry the attitude that I have. And so I just need to start off by saying, you know what? I'm sorry for my portion. I'm sorry for what I added to this situation to cause conflict. Because what the scripture says is this, is that God gives greater grace to the one that walks in humility. Admit what you did wrong or admit what you brought into the relationship that was wrong. And yes, it's humbling. But the scripture says that God gives greater grace. Verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord. And he is the one that will exalt you. Paul wrote in Philippians about this issue. And he said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 5, and he said this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in hum humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only, or not to his own interests, but rather to the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So, so Paul is not saying that your interest does not matter. But Paul is saying, put them in proper perspective. Don't only look at your interest or your desires. But guess what? In relationships and in conflict, being willing to look at the interest of others. He's not just saying lay down and, and be a doormat and let people run over you. But he is saying this, that help to understand in relationships what it means to look at your interest and also the interest of others. I am learning this and that God uses conflict to grow us into maturity and how we re handle relationships and how we handle people and how we trust him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And